When the ship was finally cleaned, we'd thrown over 300 tons of, of stinking manure into the North Atlantic. <laughs> From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. In this episode, we'll hear a piece of forgotten history. Herb Pownall had grown up on a farm in Iowa. When he joined the Army in World War II, he thought he'd be sent overseas. But instead, he ended up stateside. Then the war ended. Well, it was just being nosy, I guess. But I thought... Before I go back to college, I'd like to see some of the world. And when the United Nations and U.S. aid organizations started to send shiploads of cows and horses to war-ravaged Europe, Herb decided that was his chance. He was comfortable with livestock, and his time in the Army gave him administrative skills. So he applied for a supervisor position, overseeing a bunch of cowboys on a cattle transport ship out of Newport News, Virginia. So they had me fill out a bunch of forms and and then sit and wait to interview somebody. And, and I looked around, and there it was down a corridor and a whole bunch of kind of cubicles down there with interviewers. Well, I finally got to this fellow, and he looked at it and looked at me, read the thing carefully, and then he told me, he said, well, you're too young. You, you're not uh, the kind of person we're looking for. You can go and go ahead and be a cowboy. Well, I was disappointed. I thought he turned me off a little fast. I stayed at a boarding house, and that night the guys at the boarding house said, well, sure, you you can go down again. You'll get a different one. So I did the next day. I went down, filled all the forms out again, and I'll be darned, went to the same guy, probably <laughs> as it turned out. He said, I told you, you're too young, and you go do it as a cowboy. So I was very disappointed and made it back to the gang that night at supper, and one of them harassed me and said, well, you can't just give in right off the bat. Do it again. So I decided, sure, I'll do it. I'll surely get a different one. And... uh, wouldn't you know it? Same one. They evidently had an interviewer for different positions, you know. And he looked at me and said, Oh, no, not you again. The only way I can get rid of you is hire you. <laughs> and it was a lot better salary, as you can imagine. One supervisor and, and 30-something cowboys. and uh, It was quite a time of excitement learning a lot because we could have a ship on each side of the pier and if you can think of over 800 animals per ship that's a lot of livestock to be pushing down these chutes and on onto a, a ship and into holes it was a noisy time especially with horses there were the noise of winning of the horses and kicking the sides it sounded like uh, mayhem down there for them on board. Cattle, it was easier. They, they were more docile. Uh, and when you think of the logistics of moving that many animals and their feed and the men involved with it, uh, it was an enormous management job. 
it did all finally come together, and we got the animals on, and uh, 800 and some heifers, all bred, so each animal was carrying a calf, and we're getting two animals for each one that was unloaded. Why did people need horses and cows at that time? Well, in the, the armies had been moving back and forth over most of the mainland of Europe. Every time an army was there, and if there was a chance of a beefsteak nearby, they helped themselves to <laughs> livestock and the, and a lot of the horses and the machinery they used uh, to plow with and this sort of thing was long gone. And so this UN was a huge effort in the United States. They were really feeding these people who, if they weren't fed and weren't taken care of, was fearful that they'd become communists. And it was important for the stability of Europe to be on our side uh, to, to provide these people with a source of food. Tell me about when you were on the ocean and what a normal day would be like. Well, we got up at 5.30 and a lot of those uh, cowboys were farm kids and used to being up early. But everybody was up at 5.30, and uh, the first thing was to uh, get the animals fed. Each pen of six animals had a couple of feed buckets, and uh, we put the ground feed in there. And uh, then while they were eating, we would have our breakfast. And then after breakfast, uh, everybody would go all through the ship and fill those buckets with water. And then, after the water was out, we filled the manger in the front of each place with, with hay and threw bedding in. And uh, by then it was mid-morning and time to take a rest. <laughs> Besides the animals in the holds, we had uh, shelters on the decks. It was not a lot different than a lot of cow sheds and. We had calves born. We had on our load 830 head to start out with. I think we gained 14 or so calves and lost a few. I don't remember, three or four cows. But it was a typical day. None of us had, of course, any experience on the ocean. And once we got out away from the States, we got in the Gulf Stream and uh, the fluorescence or phosphorescence of the activity in the water in the waves that came from this ship was something for all of us to stare at and wonder about. And You could look down and see the wave from the ship and it was luminescent, whatever, sea life. But it was fun for us to look at. One exciting thing was several days out, we had a group of porpoise that played with the ship, swam along its side and leaped out ahead of the ship, which for all of us landlubbers was pretty exciting, as you can imagine.
as we pulled into the English Channel, the ship got into some mechanical problems and we had to go into port. So that was a time of uh, concern because even though we were happy to see land and smell green with stuff growing again like we were used to, we couldn't do anything about it until the ship was fixed. We went by the White Cliffs of Dover and went into this port to get some radio stuff. And we all knew that we'd, soon we'd be coming close to Germany. The ship got fixed in England. Then they crossed the channel to head up the Weser River to Bremen, Germany. And it was a, very slow because the uh, ocean, the uh, stream had been bombed a lot with and sunken ships, and so they had to work their way slowly up to a place where we could unload the livestock. But I did get to see a little bit of the surroundings, and on one occasion I saw an old farmer, obvious tears in his eyes, with a garland of flowers that he could hang on an animal's neck. It was very touching. It was something it just made us all proud to see that they were appreciated. Pretty soon the cattle were moved up through, and the yards out that we went through were filled with all kinds of shot-down vehicles. It was less than a year after the aerial battles of that. And so it was a job to work everything through there. And when we got it done, we had a few days, and then the veterinarian spoke a little German, and we did have one, one ride, the two veterinarian and me, out to talk with farmers in that part of Germany, and uh, gave us a little sense of what it was like, and uh, how in the beginning it wasn't bad. They were happy with some successes, but later they felt shortage of food and a lot of uh, agony that we couldn't really understand. After the German farmers had received their cows, the ship was empty. Mm, sort of. Three weeks' worth of manure was still on board. And they didn't want us to throw manure into the Vaser uh, River, and the uh, ship's crew really didn't want to have their booms uncased out on the Atlantic. So there was a lot of discussion and arguments, and I got into real trouble because I said that wasn't part of the deal. We were told to get these animals over alive. No one said anything about cleaning up the ship. Well, they said it's got to be done, and uh, I argued and we finally met with some officials from the administration of the port and the ship, and then we got approved that we could get $100 for our part of cleaning up the ship, no matter how long it took us, and uh, anyone that would work could get the 100 Well, everybody was ready for that. That was pretty good money. It was not an easy job, as you can imagine. We had manure forks, and uh, it was all through the ship in different pens. There were only uh, certain hatches working because the big booms that we loaded the animals with 
couldn't really be uncradled uh, with a ship swinging. The uh, ship's crew was very particular about what degree of calmness we had to have in order to do that. So there were certain booms that were shorter and could be uncased. Well, that means that all the manure had to be moved to that one boom. And so there were maybe three of those, the length of the ship. We'd break up in teams and we'd attack a pen, fork it out onto the deck, and then the, there were guys in the deck. So everything went to certain spots just to get in slings. Then the slings were hoisted up and swung over the side of the ship and, and dumped in the ocean. <laughs> oh, it was steamy, ammonia-filled <laughs> atmosphere, but the extra hundred was pretty nice too. <laughs> and uh, when the, the ship was finally cleaned, we'd thrown over 300 tons of, of stinking manure into the North Atlantic. <laughs> Anyway, then we got to lay around and enjoy the sunshine again. With time on his hands, Herb had an idea to put messages in bottles, throw them overboard, and see where they end up. Where did you find the bottles to put oh, your messages on, in to throw those, into the ocean? Those were serum bottles we used to vaccinate our cattle with their tight caps, you know. So... There were plenty of those around, and <laughs> I just introduced myself as a, a farm kid, and then we'd been taking livestock to Europe to help feed the people, and uh, I wanted to know where the bottle was found and the date, and uh, I, I wished them good luck and God's peace, and uh, gave my address, and there wasn't much to it, it was a simple first contact. So Herb's bottles floated back toward Europe as the ship sailed on to America. And when, when we landed, we found out the checks hadn't even been made for the trip over yet, and there certainly no money was uh, in hand for this cleanup job. And I thought, boy, somebody's got to do something, I guess that's for me. And so I said, I will get to Washington, and we'll see about this. And you guys stay on the ship. Don't get off. Once you get off, you're, you're loose. We won't be able to do anything. Stay there. Be a nuisance. Herb hitchhiked from Newport News to Washington, D.C., and after some stubborn insistence, got his crew of cowboys paid. When Herb got home, he had letters waiting, replies to his bottle messages. The bottle that was returned was found by a German bunch of prisoners uh, on beach cleanup uh, details in the Bay of Biscay, which is on the north side of Spain and the west side of France. Most of the letters from the former soldiers were in German, asking for cigarettes, that kind of thing. But one of them was in English, and that man became Herb's pen pal for a while. But eventually they lost contact. Helmut Newbridge was the one who had been writing me and uh, 
Keita and I were celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary, getting ready to leave. And somebody was going to drive us to the airport. The car was running out of the driveway, and uh, we were all set to leave. The phone rang, and I debated whether I'd let that go to the answering machine, but I answered, and it was Helmut. His son was into the internet and had looked, and they found Herbert Pownell in, in the United States, and he thought there was only one. <laughs> so he called, and so that was an interesting contact live with him. I have written him recently, and one of the questions I put to him is, how is it to have all these distressed people coming in from the Middle East to be in their lives? Now, I haven't heard back from him. I hope I didn't wait too long to get answered, but at least we did correspond. He wanted to know about this election, that he thought Trump was terrible. What did we think? And so we confessed to him we'd been lifelong Republicans, but we couldn't vote for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so I have not heard back from him, but I'm, I'm afraid Helmut was, I think he's older than me. I just celebrated my 94th birthday, and I think Helmut was maybe a little older, so I have uh, always had a reply from him, so I'll, I'm hoping to get one more. <laughs> Our storyteller was Herb Pownall. You can see photos from his Atlantic crossing at our website, humannaturepodcast.org. I'm Caroline Ballard. The show's producers are Aaron Jones, Anna Rader, and Micah Schweitzer. And special thanks to Bill Anderson and Allie Grossman. The theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human.